This audio presentation is brought to you by the Baptist Missionary Association Theological Seminary. The BMA Seminary provides accredited theological education for equipping God's people for Christ-centered service and leadership roles with three online degrees available now. We are committed to the inerrancy and authority of Holy Scripture and to making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information about the BMA Seminary and its online degree programs, go to bmats.edu or call toll-free 800-259-5673. That's 800-259-5673. Okay, I'm going to uh, read Psalm 40. I think I'll read it out of the New American Standard Bible here. I'll be referring to the NIV sometimes in different ones. So, um, you notice it says, For the choir director of Psalm of David, <clears throat> I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and trust in the Lord. How blessed is a man who's made the Lord his trust, has not turned to the proud or those who lapse into falsehood. Actually, the, the NIV is a better translation there. Uh, false gods. Do not go after false gods. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts toward us. There's none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Sacrifice and meal offering you've not desired. My ears you've opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you've not required. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips. O Lord, you know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I've spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I've not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. For evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I'm not able to see. They're more numerous than the hairs of my head. And my heart has failed me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste, O Lord, to help me. Let those who be ashamed and humiliated together who seek my life to destroy it. Let those be turned back and dishonored who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. Since I am afflicted and needy, let the Lord be mindful of me. You're my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. The psalmist apparently had his share of problems and difficulties. We know that from just reading about his life. But he apparently had a lot of problems and difficulties, especially if you look at verse 12. Uh, evils or it could be calamities beyond number and iniquities more numerous than the hairs of my head. Now, unless he was a bald man, he had... A lot of difficulty. Um, let me stop here in just a moment. Welcome a friend of mine, Brother Fred Heath. 
I don't know if he got welcomed. I'm sure he got welcomed individually. Brother Fred Heath and his son Joe are here today. So we're glad you're here in our service today. And uh, anyway, so when speaking about the hairs, Brother Fred's got a good full growth of hair there. So, uh, But David had more than the hairs of his head. That's a lot. A lot of troubles. Even though this is poetry, and we talk about in our Psalms class, poetry uses hyperbole, uses exaggeration, but for effect, good effect there. He had a lot of problems and calamities there. Uh, now, as we look at the Psalms, we can identify. Perhaps you and I can identify with him in this situation. Indeed, life has certain patterns or cycles that, which may recur. Notice in this Psalm, we have a, a pattern or cycle. First, well, actually, in verse 2, it mentions the pit or the predicament that he had been in. Verse 1 says he had cried out to God. So even though it's out of chronological order, this is typical what it is. We're in a pro- problem, in a pit or a predicament, we cry out to God. And because we do that, we know God's faithful. Then thirdly, he uh, rescues him. In verse 3, there's a song of praise in his mouth. Now, of course, when we talk about prayer and crying out to God... You know, our government tries to ban prayer in the schools and everything. But as you heard, as long as there are tests, and we here are going to be sure that we see to it, there will always be what? Prayer. As long as there's research papers, there's probably going to be some prayer going on. We're going to try to see that we oblige you on that. Um, so trying to ban prayer is a futile attempt, isn't it? Of course, I hope our president trumps that, right? I hope hope he will trump it. But uh, as long as there's tests, but, you know, our tests that we go through here in school, these are easy compared to the tests of life, are they not? Not always. I mean, some of some people may may differ. While you're in the middle of it, you forget. Uh, These are minor these are minor things. When you get into the ministry and when you, the world of life, and if you've been in ministry very long, you come here, you, even though it's a different kind of trial, it's really not, doesn't compare to some of the trials in our life. But that the principles we see here in the text will help us in school and in, in tests, academic tests, and will help us in our life. Psalm 40 includes at least two sections here, verses 1 to 10 or 1 to 11, depending on where you break it down, wherein David relates how God got him out of a pit and is praising God for doing so, as we said, and that's already pretty much found in the first three verses and elaborates on it after that. But notice in verses 11 to 17, he did not live happily ever after. That only happens, what, in the movies and in certain books and everything, and they all lived happily ever after. He didn't do that because it's, it's part of the real world that we live in. Describes being in another pit and crying out to God to deliver him again. Okay, so in verse 1 and 1 and 2 there, because he waited patiently and intently upon the Lord, he was beginning to learn how to work when trials come because we know trials are not just a one-time event. Don't you what we wish it would just be a one-time event? Been there, done that, and everything else is, is it's going good. Well, that's not the way life is, as we know. It's a series of ups and downs, a series of challenges, everything. But uh, there's two parts of this. He, the second part, he's lamenting another uh, problem. He was, needing, he was learning how to wait on God and to, for God to rescue him. The psalm is what we called in our 
It's what we can call a mixed genre. The type we talk about in our Psalms class, we talk about, we've been talking about laments. Okay? Somebody help me with, what's a couple of questions that the laments often say in my class here? Why or how long? Over and over again. Psalm 13, we talked about today. Verse, two verses. Four times it says, how long? Uh, this psalm we're looking at, Psalm 42 43, says, why? Job said, why? We say, why? Don't we? This doesn't specifically use that term, but he's saying, why? Am I in this again? When we look at verses 11 to 17, right? And so those are the things that the laments talk about. And so verses 11 to 17 is a lament. The first part of the, of the of the psalm is a song of thanksgiving. So put a song in my heart, a song of thanksgiving. And it's an individual, so it's an individual song of thanksgiving, but it mixes it together. We don't have that mixture too long. And so we'll talk about in just a moment how the, some of the critics have a heyday with that. But it's, it's a mix, it's a, a combination of the two. Uh, Walter Brueggemann argued that the psalms consist of three main overall categories. And if, you're on the, if you have this on the back, uh, I have uh, some blanks to fill in here in just a moment on that uh, if you want to if not this is not uh, it's just not class it's optional you, may not, you want to put it in file 14 when you get through <laughs> you can do that but uh, Walter Brueggemann talks about the sums in three o- main overall categories or types that illustrate the cycle that people go through he calls one type psalms of orientation express a confident serene settlement of faith issues this is the hymns like Praising God, How Excellent Is His Name, Psalm 8. There's even wisdom psalms like Psalm 37. And the Torah psalms like Psalm 119, over and over again about the, how wonderful the law of God is and His precepts and so forth. And then secondly, there's psalms of disorientation. Disorientation. These are mainly the laments. See, another term for the lament, as we can see a while, a while ago, when you say, why and how long... That's called a complaint, too. A lament or a complaint. And so the psalms of disorientation is when trouble comes, we say why. We say how long. Because we're, we're human and we don't often understand what's going on. I mean, after all, we've had this great praise to God. We've come off from the mountaintop experience. But then we go into the real world and then we get disoriented. A lot of these laments that we've been talking about in class are complaints over sickness or especially over the enemies, over the enemies of different kinds. And thirdly, third type are songs of new orientation or reorientation, which include the song of thanksgiving and some hymns. The Psalm 40 has a rare combination, and it does it in reverse order. And we can understand a little better, you know, you pull him out of the pit, and he explained how awful it was in the pit, and he pulled him out of the pit, and he's, everything is wonderful and great. We have a hymn and song of Thanksgiving, we're just rejoicing. Uh, you know, just like because our team won the game, or something minor, little minor thing, or whatever. Uh, so, uh, but this does it in reverse, but that's, that's the way real life is, isn't it? This psalm combines the two together because it, it's, it's the real world. Life's problems are not simplistic. And the predicament, the problem here is spoken of figuratively. is like being in a pit or in a deep hole or a cistern, perhaps even polluted with wet, nasty sewage. I mean, you have plumbing problems and you have to go out and deal and dig, dig down in there. It's not a lot of fun, is it? 
But at least maybe it'll be over. You know, by tomorrow it's over with. But in life, it's not always that simple. Sometimes it's the oozing reality of awful thing of life that we're dealing with. And the psalmist was expressing that uh, that issue there. But he he was seeing God's faithfulness. He shared his testimony about the faithfulness of God who answered his prayer and gave him a song of praise to sing. Yes, the psalms are dear to God's people. They're dear to us. And why do you think that? Because we can identify with them. Because it doesn't hide uh, and say, well, everything's always rosy. It does dare to say why, like Job did. It does dare to say how long. And so we have uh, the, the real uh, addresses the real problems, the universal problems and challenges that we still face today. In the context, we're not told a specific problem. Possibly the, a literal pit or cistern, you know, like Joseph was put in a pit. You look at Jeremiah 38, if you're familiar with the story of Jeremiah, he was put down and literally down in a cistern, 38, 6, and 7. And, but more likely, this is a figure of speech. More likely it's a figure of speech when he was maybe being pursued by Saul, or like in Psalm 3, when Absalom was after him. Uh, so it was, a, it was a predicament. It was like being in a pit. Ultimately, though, it doesn't matter whether he was being chased by Saul. Now, it mattered to David, but, uh, but uh, it, it didn't matter as far as application here, whether the enemy is, was Saul, whether the enemy was Absalom, the enemy was a circumstance that we're not, we don't know about. But the common denominator is that he could cry out to God for, for that. This can be applied today no matter what issue we're facing. And that's why we're talking about class today, that when it talks about the enemies, it, it seldom identifies it specifically. Because if it identified it specifically, perhaps, we would say, well, but my problem is different. You know, but he was only dealing with that, but look at what I'm dealing with, right? But the enemies, when they're more spoken of in more generalities, we can see that no matter what the enemy is, seemingly small or large or whatever, God is God is merciful. And we can cry out to him when we're in the pit. So, number one, during problems or predicament, what is the proper response? So, we've read through this psalm. One of the things we can do as far as trying to find a good, timeless principle here is to say, looking at David, looking at the psalmist here, what is the proper response? Thankfully here, David is a good example. Now, you can study it over there in 2 Samuel. He wasn't always the best example. Okay? But here he's a good example of how to respond in the time of, of problems. First of all, what did he do? As we said a while ago, he waited patiently. Or he hoped intently to the Lord. Now, that's easier said than done. Right? And we can read that text. We can read it and we can read it and we can read it. But to wait patiently upon the Lord is not always that simple, is it? It's frequently not simple at all. He waited patiently, but expectantly under extreme stress. Same idea is found in Psalm 39. And so since we're close there, you can look at 39.7. This is the NIV, 39.7. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. That's the same term that we're talking about there. And so 
in Psalm 39, it's a Psalm of David, and in Psalm 40 is another Psalm of David. Here he says, I did, at least at this situation, wait patiently on the Lord. In biblical times, we uh, we find that sometimes you'd have a sister. Often they had a sister in the Middle East because they had very little rain. They wanted to collect whatever water came. But rain, they would collect it in a cistern. In some parts of the world today, they still have that. Uh, but in the, in the cistern, sometimes, if they did not properly um, insulate, you're not insulated, but uh, protect it from leaking there, it would, you know, it would seep out. And so, you would, but you still would have moisture in there and you have the, uh, the cisterns. And so that's the picture we see. People, if they, they wouldn't watch it, it might tumble and fall into an old cistern, you know, like an old well shaft or something like that. And this is designed to hold water for drinking and sometimes while hiding from an enemy, could even be thro- could be thrown in there like uh, Joseph was, or, or in the case of Jeremiah, like we said earlier. Or if you're hiding out for an enemy, you might go go down in there to be, to not be observed. And so, like I said, well, go. It's a, it could be a slight chance that he's talking about a literal situation where he fell in a in a pit. But more likely, he's describing the hopeless situation as a symbol because everybody could identify with this the, the sister and the dangers that are there and the the. Uh, Maybe sometimes when they've been in that situation, it's a fitting symbol of some hopeless or depressing situation. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there right now. I hope not, but maybe you are. Maybe I am in there right now. If it's, if it's the case, we need to study this psalm all the more because David it gives us some ideas on how we can address the situation we're in. Waiting or trusting in God involves both calling out to him in prayer, but also listening. Verse 6. In, the, in verse 6, he, he listened. He says, uh, Sacrifice and meal offering you've not desired, my ears you have opened. And the Hebrew text is literally, my ears you've dug out. I've dug out my ears. NIV says pierce. It's less likely, but uh, you've opened up my ears. You've, you are, you've caused me to listen. And so listening is important here. Uh, waiting on God. Also, in verse 4, involves ignoring the temptation to trust, trust in pride, whether in self or in others, or in false sources of help, including the false gods. That term there just means uh, false or deceptive things, but it, so often in the Old Testament it means false gods. That's why I think of the, the, well, the NIV, and I think even in the NRSV that we looked at, Kind of brings that idea of false gods because so frequently that's what we're talking about. But anything, whether it's you know an idol that we can actually see or not, anything we depend upon that it's not the Lord is false and it is inherently an, an idol. And so the temptation is rather than waiting and trusting in God, is to jump onto a leap onto things that the world offers because they're all around us, aren't they? They're alternative things that can fix our problem. We think. We find out we need to wait on God, ignore the temptation. Even Jesus himself had to ignore and combat the, in the temptation experience, the enticement. You know, it's just easy. Jump off this temple. Everybody will be in awe as you, you know, and you have a following. He had to fight off that, the enticement. And we all have to, uh, to reject those false uh, options. And so negatively, it means ignoring these temptations. Positively, it means trusting and only in the, in the Lord God and His Son Jesus, the only true God. Verse 5, His wonders are amazing. 
I can the NIV here. Many, O oh Lord, my God, are the wonders you've done, the things you've planned for us, no one can recount to you. So they are incomparable. They're without number and they're incomparable. Any other so-called God, whether like I say a false idol or any other temptation like that, cannot compare with the Lord God of heaven who sent his son Jesus to die for us. The world has its substitutes. The world has its false gods. Allah's empty promises of all the virgins in the afterlife as a reward for martyrdom is a poisonous and substitute for a relationship with the one and only true God, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Furthermore, all the wealth or the fame of this world, you know, because that's what Satan enticed Jesus with, tried to entice Jesus with, wasn't it? The fame and the following of this world. And, you know, it's in ministry, you know, ironically in ministry, one of the temptations is, you know, you want this, you want a big church. You want the big uh, mega following, the mega churches and things of this nature. You know, we, we're, we're susceptible to that if we just sit down to it. You say, well, no, that's not me. Well, I hope it's not. I don't think it's me either. But, you know, down in the recesses of our heart, maybe there's some secret lurking, enticing thing, you know. You know, I, I know it's. I know it's not like Joel or whatever on TV, or, but still, wouldn't it be good to have a little bigger church? Maybe it's not having one that's 10 or 11 or 15, maybe just 150, you know, multiply it by 10 or something. You know, that'd be better. But if it involves compromise and, and, and false uh, solutions, then that's not the answer. Waiting on God, ignoring the temptations. But waiting on God is not merely passive. What does verses 7 to 8 say? It's an active total dedication to God's will. So in the context, a new song in verse 3 involves gladly and joyfully obeying God's word and obeying God's will. It's not just all about singing and being happy, but it's singing and being happy because we're pleasing the Lord God. We're doing His will. That's what we should desire to do. Uh, and so, as passage that asked uh, Dr. Helwig to read, that he read for us today, Hebrews 10, this is a quote. And so, an, an application of this is the greater David, the Lord Jesus Christ. He quotes from the Septuagint. Septuagint says, a body you have prepared for me. Now, actually, in the text, it's only the Vaticanus, Sinaiticus, and Alexandritus manuscripts, those of you in Dr. Helwig's class, uh, that have the body you prepared for me. Some of the Greek texts say, my ears you prepared for me. So, but in the New Testament, it's quoting from the Septuagint. You know, Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And, but it's saying there that that is uh, an application to Messiah. He said he's coming in the volume of the book and the scroll of the book to, to um, do God's will. John five thirty, Jesus said, I do not seek mine own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So if Jesus Christ, who was very God and very man, would be willing to submit himself to the will of the Father, should we not how much more be willing to submit ourselves to the will of our Heavenly Father? And that is part of, of the joyful, pleasing God and, and uh, the idea of, of a new song. It's to gladly and joyfully obey God, not just in our mouth, but in our whole body and our lives. Do you read the word of God? Because he says in the volume of the book is written. Do we, do we read it faithfully? Do you desire to obey it? Do I do so? Is it desired, is it marked by joyful, glad, desire to do it, even when it, it steps on our toes? 
Are we willing glad, gladly to say, Lord, yes, I'm sorry, I've failed you, and I want to do better. I want to be dedicated to you. If not, maybe you need to pray with David in Psalm 143.10. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Okay, how about the second question? What is the proper response when God answers your cry for help? Now, I think we all know that. How wonderful that God rescued the psalmist from his hopeless situation of placing his feet securely up on a rock. What a contrast from a slimy, slippery sinkhole onto dry and secure rock. Uh, God can deliver anyone who's in deep trouble. Any kind of trouble. We know that. We know it's in our minds, at least, don't we? Hopefully we've experienced it. We know that. Anybody that's unable to free themselves, he can do the seemingly impossible. And, of course, this is what we share. We want to be able to experience this in our lives. I think we all have done so. We share that with others. He can replace fear with faith. He can replace depression and doubt with complete confidence in his provisions. And then, of course, praise and thanksgiving then is is the response. Because anybody who's received that, if we're a true believer, the natural calling of the natural reaction to that is thank you lord praise you god for your your sufficiency you put a new song in david's heart it's a song of a new creation it's a song of a new orientation song of a new direction results from a joy of fulfilling the uh, a fulfilling vibrant relationship with the lord he's the sovereign of the universe but beware of the sin of ingratitude because probably nearly all of us will say, thank you, Lord. But are we really truly thinking? How quickly we forget. Thank you, Lord. And then, then, then we're back to complaining. Let's be grateful. You know, there was the, of the lepers that were healed, was a gentleman of them there? How many of them came back and said thank you? About one. Yeah. Probably good. I'm not good, but it's probably the proper ratio that often is the case. That we sometimes forget God's provisions praise to god for answer prayer can encourage others verses three to be many shall see and fear of god so when we are delivered and we give thanks and glory to god that can affect others public praise verses five and nine eleven public praise should focus not only on god's wonderful works verse five that we read a while ago many other wonders but also his awesome acts verses nine through eleven talk about his deeds his Acts, and so um, publicly talk about what God has done, but also who he is. In the Psalms, it does talk about his attributes. God is good. God is great. But also his awesome acts, his deeds, his wonderful deeds. We see it here in this Psalm. We see it in many Psalms there. His incomparable character, his righteousness, his faithfulness, and his salvation or deliverance. His loving kindness. And his truth. That means his faithfulness. His dependability. Verse 11. God's past faithfulness inspires confidence in his future future faithfulness. Verse 9. In the New American Standard Version there. Says. Um, I proclaim glad tidings of righteousness in a great congregation. Behold I will not restrain my lips. Same word there for restrain. My lips. In the text. Is the same word in verse 11. Do not withhold your mercy. Uh, or in the NASB, you will not withhold your compassion. And so because 
uh, he had not withheld his praise to God. He's appealing to God and saying, now I've not withheld my praise. Please don't withhold your compassion upon me in this new situation. I don't think he was trying to bargain or manipulate. I mean, God would see right through that. So we can't bargain and manipulate, but I think we can appeal to him. Moses appealed to God's character. Daniel appealed to God's character. The great prayers of the Old Testament appealed to the character of God. Moses, I mean, it's hard for us to understand it, but Moses said, don't destroy these people. Or just think about what the, the Egyptians are going to say. They're going to say, or the Canaanites, whomever, are going to say here about you couldn't, you were able. You didn't have the sovereignty and the ability to deliver your people. He appealed to his, compar- his compassion and to his, um, his character. And we can appeal to that. God's past faithfulness. Jeremiah, Lamentations 3, 19 to 23. He was in uh, deep depression, but over there he said he called this to mind and he had hope. Well, what did he call to mind? Was it, great is your faithfulness, O God. It renews it every morning. You know, there's a song that's built off that. Great is your faithfulness. So in the middle of our circumstances, let's get off, the, off let's get out from under our circumstances and let's consider the faithfulness and the greatness of our God. And so um, the problem or predicament was followed by intense prayer and then praise for answered prayer. As I said earlier, the critics have a problem with verses 12 and following, claiming that verses 12 to 17 uh, is... Uh, you know, it's not a unit. And they do have some point because if you look at Psalm 70, I won't ask you to look at it right now, but if you look at Psalm 70, Psalm 70 is, is basically exactly the same as the last half of this psalm. Psalm 70 is an independent psalm that's a lament. But, and here, this is the same. So we don't know if the possibility that as, we, uh, as you study about the, the Psalter, which is another term for us, the book of Psalms, and then it was the, in finished form was the hymn book, hymnal, the hymn book of the second temple. Because a few of these psalms are, are talk about like in being in exile and so forth. A few of them are after, after the exile. So when Ezra, according to tradition, under inspiration, brought these psalms together, maybe he combined Psalm 70 with Psalm uh, 40, the first part of 40, to bring it together into worship. Whether that's true or not, at least that is the same. And so the critics will say that uh, there's, a, there's a problem with the unity of this psalm. So we're, we're not going to um, go into more detail on that. Except there, there, there's an explanation why they're brought together. Whether originally or in the, in the worship of Israel, it's, um, it's because it's telling you the real, real situation. It's, this is not just virtual reality, it's reality. Reality of life is... That you you just you don't just have a song of thanksgiving and then it always ends in living happily ever after, but, but it's a cycle. Like the, the idea all ago about uh, a disorientation, and you put then you get reoriented. But you know, hang on, because the ride's not over, and you're going to possibly go down again into into the pit. So it's it's a reality. You see. Disorientation to new, to new orientation is not a simple straight line, irreversible and unambiguous. Life moves in and out. In our daily life, the joy of deliverance is immediately beset and assaulted by the despair and fear of the pit. So the one who hopes is to urge God against delay. Uh, I'm quoting Walter Brueggemann. He's not the most 
evangelical. He's not pretty evangelical, but he's got some good points here about the Psalms here. So there's a realism to the Psalm. It's a realism that is, is set in the profound trust of God. The trust in the Lord God and Him alone. So this psalm correctly records life secrets on earth for the believers is not concluding with a bowl of cherries or a bed of roses, but rather problems. I mean, after all, roses have what thorns and cherries have pits. Oh, my. <laughs> ah, life is a bowl of cherries, but watch out for those pits. So um, your pit that you may be in today or the pit... Hopefully you've just been delivered from. could be any of a number of things. We've talked about tests and all that. Uh, hopefully it's not the loss of your job. Hopefully it's not illness. Hopefully it's not an illness of your, of your, in the family. Uh, hopefully it's not a rebellious child, rebellious teenager. Hopefully it's not any of the number of things that we could fill in the blank there. But uh, whatever it is, let us know that this psalm can apply to your situation. In a preliminary conclusion, this move from orientation to disorientation to new orientation, according to Brueggemann, is clearly played out in the life of the Lord Jesus. Like in Philippians 2, 5 and 11, he says this articulates this movement. Orientation, remember over there, it says those who is in the form of God. Remember, that's a famous kenosis passage. Uh, he emptied himself. He emptied himself. You know, he had all the privileges of glory. He emptied himself, became a servant, even a bond slave. But as a result of that, see, that was that disorientation. I mean, I talk about a major disorientation, being in heaven and coming to this earth. Major disorientation. And finally, a new orientation. Therefore, what God highly exalted him, gave him a name above every name. The Gospels, therefore, especially the Passion narratives, portray his life in precisely that fashion. Now, I put a couple of hermeneutical warnings down here on the bottom of the page there. Though this is to some extent a Messianic psalm, because it is quoted. Hebrews 10 that we read quoted the passage over there, verses 6 and 7. You gotta watch out, because verse 12. Verse 12, all of his iniquities are more, you know, the iniquities and the sins he confessed. That doesn't apply to Christ, does it? Does it? No. So I would caution you here. This might be indirectly messianic. There are different kinds of messianic psalms here. Uh, so just be cautious. I, my personal opinion is maybe a conservative approach, but I say that unless the psalm is quoted and alluded to specifically, we've got to be very, very cautious applying every psalm, finding Christ under every rock in the Old Testament. That's just my opinion. But... I think that that this psalm should cause us to be cautious about it because it does say, if we're saying every psalm applies to Jesus, everything's Christocentric, 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 then we, I mean, I know we wouldn't say it, but we'd be inconsistent not to say, well, look, there it says he confessing his sins, if that's about Christ. We know that's not true. So humor me a little bit. I'm not saying that guys are saying that with the Christocentric emphasis. I'm just saying we need to be cautious that we don't force something there which is not. I'd rather just read from the Old Testament to the New and see the development and I'd, be, I'd better, I feel more confident about applying it when the, the text says it. So what as far as our practical application now? How should you respond to this song? Of course, it's between you and the Lord. 
What should you praise God for? Have you been ungrateful? Have I been ungrateful for his blessings and his unfailing love? Do I need to repent of ingratitude? Do you? That's between you and the Lord. We can learn from the attitude of a psalmist in dealing with trouble, whether currently or in the future. We need to be prepared. Any Boy Scouts in here? Uh, we need to be prepared. You or I may be down in the pit of depression, as I said right now. Hopefully not. Perhaps you've just been delivered from it. But if not, just wait. Be on guard. Be prepared. You may be there sometime soon. The life cycle of the believer often involves problems, then prayer, then praise for answer prayer, which helps us to learn how to prepare for the cycle to start over again because, hang on, in this life, it's going to happen again. The one constant is the dependable character of the incomparable God. His wonderful works and His awesome acts of compassion are amazing and without number. Father God, thank you for this passage of Scripture we've read and studied today. I pray that you would uh, apply it to each of our lives. We do praise you. We do thank you that you're sufficient to meet our every need. Commit each of our brothers and sisters here to you today. Thank you in Jesus' name.